Well, last week, church, we begin a series looking at the words of Jesus while he's on the cross. And in this series, we're going up to Easter, examining each one of these things that Jesus said while he's being crucified. And what I love about this is as we examine what Jesus says on the cross, we start to understand a little bit better what the cross is for. We start to understand a little bit better uh, how the cross is, is supposed to impact our lives and how it's supposed to change us and the gifts that have been given to us by the cross of Jesus. And why I think this is so important is because a lot of us, we know about the cross. We, we have the cross necklaces. We've, we've talked about it. We, we know the general idea. Jesus came. He was crucified. He died. But sometimes we don't fully understand it. And sometimes we don't fully get how it's supposed to impact our lives. And also, if we do understand it, if you're someone that's like, man, this is nothing new for me, that's great. But what I have found is that when God does something in you, he also wants to do something through you. And so God, God has never come to you with the intention of, hey, let's just take this information. Good, you know it. Check the box. You're good. Go home. God always wants to do something through you. And so as we go through, some of the things we'll talk about will be a little basic to some of you. And I think that's great because what better way to get you refreshed on it so you can go out and teach somebody else. You can go share the gospel with someone. That's what this is all about. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 23 if you have your Bibles. We're going to be examining Jesus on the cross with a couple of criminals, a couple of Lawbreakers, if you will. There's different ways you can translate that word. But my favorite way to translate it is lawbreaker, because I think we can all identify with that. Criminals, sometimes we're like, well, I'm not really a criminal. We've all broken laws, right? Some of you broke some laws on the way here, maybe you're doing a little speeding. The fact is, we all have broken laws. We've all fallen short. And sometimes we hear about this moment where Jesus is on the cross, and he's got these two individuals on either side of him. And we think of them as some faraway persons. And person, I'm, I'm nothing like them. But the fact is, though, those two individuals represent us. They represent you. They represent me in so many different ways. There are people who had broken the law who were in desperate need of Jesus. Just like you and I. And so, in the story... Luke chapter 23 says that there were two other men, both criminals, who were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Where There, there, there was also a written notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. 
But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, that's a great word. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What an amazing promise from Jesus. This story has always been really interesting to me. Because in this moment, Jesus is surrounded by two people who desperately need him. One person chooses to turn on Jesus. The other one chooses to turn towards Jesus. I've always found it interesting, this other criminal on the cross, this guy who is, is sitting there nailed to a cross in the most excruciating, painful moment of his life, dying in the worst way possible. He's watching these Roman soldiers come up and mock Jesus, and he decides the best use of his time is to join in. Like, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Like, like you're dying, dude. And you think the best use of your time is to also start insulting this guy? Like, imagine that. Imagine being like in a, in a, in a, a bunch of criminals going out in some sort of a, a firing line squad, right? And they're, they're bringing him out there, and one of the guys turns to the other guy behind him and goes, oh, nice shoes, loser. Like, of all the things to be thinking in that moment, and on top of that, he doesn't have a lot of breath left. If you know anything about crucifixion, breathing and talking gets harder and harder, and harder, and he's wasting it on being petty. It's just ridiculous. But sometimes that's kind of what we do, don't we? We get so focused on biting other people, we forget the fact that, we, and we miss the fact that the solution to our problems has been there right in front of us. He misses the fact that the, the solution to everything is sitting right next to him. But we have this other guy who turns to Jesus, says, listen, will you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus says, truly today, you will be with me in paradise. I love this because this guy understood some things about Jesus that I think are so incredibly important for us to understand as well. He understands some really basic truths about life and about spirituality that I think we have to understand as well. So I want to talk about those today. There's a couple things <clears throat> this guy understands. First, he, he, this guy seems to understand the fact that we're all going to die. Now, this guy was pretty sure he was going to die. That was pretty obvious. But he, he, he understood that we're all going to die, and we're all going to face God. Reality is, we, we are all going to die, and we are all going to face God one day. That's just a fact of life. Yeah, I looked up the statistics on death recently, and it looks like about 99% to 100% of people all die still, right? Pretty, pretty much up there. Fact is, we're all going to die. It's a reality of our life. And, and so much of our life seems to be spent trying to prevent death. Right? We're, we're, so many things we try to do in our life is all about how can we prolong death. But 
so little of what people do is about planning for the future, for eternity. Talking about what's next when we come before our God in heaven. Reality is death happens. This criminal understands that. He understands that death happens and one day you'll have to face God. So he says to his other associate in crime, he says, don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? You know, it's interesting. The fear of God is not something we talk about much anymore. You know, in a lot of churches, it seems like we want to talk about the love of God, the peace of God, the grace of God, these things that make us feel warm and fuzzy. But the fear of God is actually incredibly powerful. In Proverbs 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge of the Holy One is the beginning of understanding. The fear of the Lord. See, the fear of the Lord, simply put, is understanding who God is and who I'm not. Right? It's understanding. The the fear of God is understanding who He is and who I'm not. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, that blessed are the spiritually poor. What does it mean to be spiritually poor? It means I understand who I'm not and who God is. Understanding that there is a God and I'm not Him. And see, every time in the Bible that people come face to face with God's presence, it always seems like it always leads to them being extremely terrified. Having a moment of just holy terror. Think of Isaiah when he suddenly drops to his knees and says, Oh, I'm ruined from a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. When people see God, there's this natural just dropping to your knees. Sometimes I think we, we forget of how much of a blessing that is. We, we forget of how awesome and amazing God is. Like God, When we see God, God, God is, is amazing and powerful. There's a, there's a natural fear that will come over us of like, wow, this, this God is so amazing. He's so powerful, incredible. It says in Hebrews 9.27 that each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Each and every one of us will come before God. And sometimes... It starts with the fear of the Lord, understanding how great and powerful and amazing God is. But see, of course, we have a different relationship with God because of grace. And I love the, the song Amazing Grace. There's an old line in there. It was grace that taught my heart to what? Fear. And grace, my fears, relieved. It's by God's grace that I have the fear of God to understand that God is amazing and powerful and incredible and above anything and everything. And sometimes I think we we miss out on the fear of God. And when we miss out on the fear of God, what ends up happening 
is we get to a place where God is kind of our little pocket God. God is kind of our, our, our little, you know, genie we want to keep around. He's a little cross on the bookshelf. He's a, he's a guy that has a nice book that we can read some nice words from, some nice wisdom. But he doesn't become God. It's only when we have the fear of God, understanding that he is all-powerful, that he is tremendous, that then we can appreciate then how amazing grace is and how amazing it is that he loves us and cares for us, watches over us. You know, a lot of people will say, there's a, a statement I've heard for a while, People will say things like, well, only God can judge me. The reality is, he will. There will be a moment we will be judged for everything we've ever done. The question is, who are we trusting in when we come to that point? Is everything we've ever done covered by the blood of Jesus, or is it not? This gentleman on the cross understood that. He didn't fully understand it, but he just understood that he needed something to change in his life. So he reaches out in this moment because he knows that there's likely going to be a moment in the future where he has to come to task for everything he's done. The same is true for each and every one of us. The second thing that this person understood is that something we all have to understand as well it's the fact that we've all sinned against God. We've all sinned against God. Our, our criminal friend says, listen, we deserve to die. He then goes on to say, we're being punished rightly because we did evil. Romans 6, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, quick question. How many uh, murders do you have to commit to be a murderer? Where are we at on that? One? I'm making sure no one's above one. Because I mean, I just, I'm just curious. But yeah, we're all there about one. How, how many uh, laws do you have to break to be a lawbreaker? Okay. How many uh, crimes do you have to commit to be a criminal? One. Right. We're still right. How many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? One. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The reality is we've all fallen short of God's glory. We're all lawbreakers. We're all people who desperately need Jesus and desperately need his life change to work in our life. And the reality is, God already knows this. I've heard it said that confession is simply agreeing with what God already knows about us. It's not like we come before God and confess something and he's like, you did? Whoa! Confession is simply agreeing with what God already knows. I think sometimes when we confess before God and we come to him, especially when we're already believers in Jesus, I think sometimes 
God just sitting there going, yeah, I was wondering when you're going to bring that to me. I've been waiting to just take that and make it as far as, as the east is from the west. But you just kept holding on to it. I was wondering when you finally were going to realize that, I, that you were in sin and you were going to bring it to me. Man, I'm glad you finally brought it to me. The third thing that we have to understand, we have to know that this Jesus was more than a man. That's something that, that, that this other criminal on the cross picked up on. And it's something that we have to understand for ourselves as well. That this Jesus was more than a man. He, he, he says to his friend, he says, we're being killed for our sin. We deserve this. But he says, this man has done nothing wrong. The reality is, Jesus was perfect. Jesus did nothing wrong, but Jesus was also God. He was more than just a man. He, he walked in a human body. He was able to go through all the temptations and the things that we go through in our daily life. Jesus was also God. In John 10, it says, Jesus says, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And he says, I and the Father are one. And again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? That's a really funny response, by the way. And he says, we're not stoning you for your good works, but for blasphemy, because you, you, a mere man, claim to be God. That's important. I like that passage in particular when we're talking about Jesus claiming to be God, because not only did Jesus claim to be God, or do people that read the Bible claim that he claimed to be God, people around him got the impression he was claiming to be God. That's why they tried to stone him in that passage. People around him were like, oh, this guy's claiming this. And that's really important for this reason, because sometimes we like to make Jesus into this nice little caricature, this nice little moral teacher, Jesus had some nice words. Oh, yeah, some good stuff. But the reality is, Jesus' own words in the Bible don't allow for him to simply be a good moral teacher. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He talks about the idea of Jesus has to either be a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. With the things that he said and how, how firmly he put in place, he either was lying about it, he was crazy, or he's Lord. He, he says it this way. He says, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he didn't intend to. Reality is, we have to understand, to really understand the cross, that Jesus is God. It's a big deal. And the next thing that this person on the cross next to Jesus understood, we have to understand that only God's grace can save us. We have an issue in our life. We're sinners. We've fallen short of God's glory. This Jesus is more than just a man. He's God. 
There's something special and spectacular. And finally, we have to understand that it's His grace that comes from Jesus. Only that is, is what can save us. The Bible is clear. It's by grace that we're saved. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves. In John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, here's what I love about this moment. As this man on the cross is next to Jesus, he realizes that he needs help, so he cries out to Jesus. But I don't know if you notice, he, he kind of missed some of the, the key steps, right? I mean, he, he doesn't really become a member in church, doesn't even get baptized, doesn't have a lot of the key moments that we, we generally think of in Christianity. Doesn't even have the, the full, like, sinner's prayer, does he? You know, the, Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. He doesn't even have any of that. He doesn't even apologize. All he says is, Lord, remember me. And Jesus goes, absolutely. Why is that? Well, ultimately, because Jesus was looking at his heart. Bible says in 1 Samuel, the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Reality is, Jesus could see his heart in that moment. He knew what he was crying out for. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's only the grace of God that can get us into heaven. That's true for this man on the cross, and it's true for each and every one of us. And if any of us think through what we would say if God said, why should I let you into heaven? If any of us had a response that started with the words, well, I, I did this, or I went here, or I read my Bible this many times, or I did this, or I did that. There's an issue with our theology. It only starts with Jesus. Jesus did this. By the blood of Jesus and the grace of Christ that I'm here. There's an amazing theologian by the name of Alistair Begg who talks about the thief on the cross. And he kind of jokes around about it a little bit in a way that I always found so funny. He says, you know, I just always wish I could... I, when I get to heaven, I just can't wait to meet that guy on the cross and be like, listen, how'd that go for you? Like, like when you got to heaven, like, was it kind of confusing? Like, were there angels up there, like, going like, hey, what, um, like, how'd you get here? And the guy's like, I, I, I don't know. Like, what do you mean you don't know? Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, okay, well, like, um, let me get the supervisors. They get the supervisor angel over and like, okay, so did you like follow the Mosaic law? No, I wasn't great with laws. Okay. Um, okay, okay. Uh, so we got, we got a new covenant now. So like, are you under the, the, blood, of, the, the blood of the lamb? Like what, what's your thoughts on uh, justification? The doctrine of scripture? I, I don't know what any of those things are. What? Under whose authority are you here? Well, the guy on the middle cross said I could come. The guy on the middle cross. 
Reality is for each and every one of us, the only thing that will ever get us into heaven is not our works, not the things that we do, it's not how shiny we are, not how good we look. The only thing that will ever get us into heaven, the only reason we have the grace of God in our life is Jesus, the man on the middle cross. For each and every one of us, if we ever get to a place in our life where we start to think, ah, I'm earning this. I'm doing this. I've got this. God, I, I, I thank you for saving me back then, but now I'm really, I'm really earning it now. Man, I'm really living it out now. No, it's only the grace of Jesus. We're all still in the same boat without Christ. Only by the grace of Jesus Christ. The final thing to understand is that Jesus will save anyone who asks. It says in Luke 23 that our friend on the cross said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. For Jesus left this earth, he told his disciples, Behold, I go to, pre to prepare a place for you. Paul said, it is incredible and amazing the, the things that God is preparing for us. And he says, to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. The promise that we have all throughout Scripture is that when we're believers in Jesus, that we have a future. We have an eternity. And that for any of us who cry out to God and ask for forgiveness, God will Grant it. Jesus was sent down to die on a cross, not just for a few people, but for anyone who will repent. Anyone who will come to him. The Bible says, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. We don't just serve a God that sits up in heaven and sees us in the midst of our, our sin and our messed upness. And says, well, I hope you can figure it out. We serve a God that saw us in our mire and our dirt, all of our junk, and said, I'm going to send my son down, die on a cross for them, so that they can have life and life to the full. They can have relationship with me and eventually be with me in heaven. So for each and every one of us, I want to in invite you to do one of two things. One, if you've never started a relationship with Jesus, I always want to invite people. But man, if maybe we've, you've talked about Jesus, if you know a thing or two about him, you've been to church, I always want to invite you that, man, I would love it if you made today the day that you surrendered everything to him and gave him your life, allowed him to change you. That'd be so incredible. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you after service. That'd be amazing. Secondly, if you're someone who considers yourself a fully devoted follower of Jesus, I just want to invite you to take this with you into your world. There's a world all around you that desperately needs Jesus. Are you taking the cross with you? Are you taking the same heart 
that Christ has for those around him into those that you walk with each and every day. There's people all around you that desperately need Jesus. Are you willing to give them to him? Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for you. God, we are just overwhelmed by your love. Man, Lord, you love us so much. Thank you for your word. Just pray that it continues to sink into our hearts throughout our week. Would you just continue to use it to shape us, mold us, and draw closer and closer to you? God, you're so good. You're so incredible. And we just thank you for the gift of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, we serve an amazing God, don't we? Well, I think that's a God that we just really deserves our worship. And so, as we end every service, we're going to continue to worship together. Let's stand and sing together.